Let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 6 as we make our way through God's word. Revelation 6, Paul has already read the chapter for us. Um, for those of you who might be new and um, are just diving in partway into the book of Revelation, let me just give a, a quick summary of how the book is divided. It was written by the Apostle John. He would be the only remaining uh, disciple. The rest of them would have been martyred. Uh, the Lord kept John alive. The year is 96 A.D. He's on a beautiful Grecian island um, called Patmos. And while he's there, the Lord appears to him in chapter 1 and tells him to write seven letters to seven churches. And the key to the book of Revelation, if you're taking notes, is chapter 1, verse 19. Here the Lord tells John to write the things that he has seen. What has he seen? What he saw in chapter 1. He saw a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he said, the second division of the book, write the things that are, present tense. And that would be the church age, these seven letters to the seven churches. You and I are living in that time period right now. The third division of the book is where we're going to be at this morning. And then he says, write the things that are going to happen after that. After what? After the church age. So as we get into chapter 6, we already find the church in heaven in chapters 4 and 5. In chapter 5, Jesus goes up to the Father's throne where he has a scroll. He takes a scroll out of his Father's hands and as you look at chapter 6 verse 1 he begins to um, unseal uh, this particular scroll. So this morning we'll look at um, the sealed judgments in chapter 6. It sort of, not sort of, it does intensify as we make our way through the sealed judgments then we're going to go into the trumpet judgments. And then finally, we're going to go into the bowl judgments. And there is an exponential series of um, intensity as we make our way through the book. And believe me, there's enough intensity in chapter 6 um, that we'll, we will go through this morning. So this morning we'll look at the sealed judgments. And then what I'd like to do is to compare them to current events that seem to be building up to the judgment that will be unleashed by, and if you look at verse 17, the wrath of the Lamb. That's how we describe the book of Revelation. It's the wrath of the Lamb. And um, he's been holding it back. I liken it to the days of Noah, which happens to be uh, the theme for our prophecy conference. And again, I really encourage you to come. I'm kind of hoping it'll be our last one. <laughs> and, but the comparisons as we see lawlessness and the deterioration of our own nation, right, right before our eyes on a daily basis, you can't help but think of the days of Noah. In Genesis 6, it says the, the thoughts of their heart were only evil continually. And then in, if you're taking notes, Genesis 6, verse 3, it said, the Lord said, my spirit 
shall not strive with man forever. It means he's striving with men right now, men and women. For indeed, he is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. What we're entering into and what we'll close with this morning is the Bible actually has a lot to say in the Old Testament about um, uh, Daniel's 70th week and, and the tribulation period. But I want to set something straight for the record before we even read our, our verses this morning. I want you to turn to First Thessalonians chapter 5, who actually thought they were in this period of time. And Paul had to write a letter to them because somebody was spreading rumors. And the rumors was, you guys missed the rapture and you're in the tribulation. And he had to address it. So when you get to chapter 5, we'll read verses 1 through 11. What especially stuck out to me this uh, time is in verse 6 when he says, let us watch. Our Bible study this morning is going to be primarily about what to watch for. So picking it up in verse 1, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord shall not come uh, so as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But he says, you brethren, now he's talking to these young believers. He was only in Thessalonica for less than a month, and he taught them all these um, doctrines, including the rapture of the church, including the great tribulation, including salvation and baptism. In Hebrews 6, it talks about the elementary principles of what it means to be a Christian. And... um, um, so they were going through their ABCs, but evidently the elementary principles also included the rapture of the church and the, uh, the day of the Lord or the tribulation. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You're sons of light, sons of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do or I would say another way of saying that, have an attitude of indifference. But let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and a helmet of salvation. Verse nine is extremely important. For God has not appointed us to wrath. In context, he's talking about the day of the Lord. He wants to reassure them that they're not going to go through the day of the Lord, the day of wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. And I love this, therefore. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you are doing. So, As we read Revelation 6 this morning, and if you can find any comfort in any part of it, please talk to me afterwards, (laughs) because I can't find it. Just the opposite. This is the wrath of the Lamb, but he's gonna take his bride out before we enter into this period of time. 
All right, back to Revelation. I wanted to lay that as a foundation stone for our study this morning. Verse one, we took, and two, we took all of last week and dealt with that. If you would like to get a copy of it, you can after the service. But it deals with the Antichrist. And he says as much. He calls him the son of perdition and the lawless one in Thessalonians. He has to show up first before the day of the Lord can start. And that's exactly what we see happening here. The rider on the white horse is none other than the Antichrist. And when I saw the lamb open one of the seals, I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice, come and see. And I looked, and behold, the white horse that he who sat on him had a bow and a crown, and it was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Uh, there's been an overemphasis of what they refer to him as a man of peace, and his first three and a half years is going to be one of, of uh, prosperity and peace and so on and so forth. It doesn't talk about that here. He has a bow and arrow. And what his mission is, is in the name of peace, is to conquer and to go out conquering. And I'm going to leave that there and go right into the second seal. When he had opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. And another horse, fiery red, went out. It was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. So when it talks about, in Thessalonians, watch therefore, to me it brings up the obvious question, if Paul is telling us to watch for the day of the Lord, what are we to watch for? What would be the signs that would indicate we're getting close to that period of time. Well, watch for an increase in those events happening. Wars, famines, deaths, earthquakes, pestilences, might I add pandemics, even a global shift. We'll be witnessing that before we're done with our chapter this morning. And um, I don't want to get too ahead of myself um, with that one. But just... With common sense, we all know people that are, are um, stressed out. They're at the end of the rope, so to speak. I'm speaking mostly about non-believers, but let's face it, even a lot of strong Christians are going through difficult times right now. And um, I thought the psalm was interesting this morning, and I'm going to be closing with Pastor Chuck that was perfect for this, uh, what's going on right, right now. But if this is messing people up, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, imagine what the rapture of the church would do. Imagine uh, billions, if millions and billions of people, all of a sudden, one minute they're here and one minute they're not. You don't think that's gonna rattle your noodle? Yeah, what happened? What just happened? Where we have millions of people just suddenly disappear. And... Um, the rapture has to take place, absolutely has to take place. 
it was, we did one whole morning. If you've never heard the terminology before, some of you are thinking, the word rapture doesn't even appear in the Bible. Well, yes, it does, but you've got to use uh, the Latin harpazo and uh, the, the words where we get rapturos from. But when you boil it down to the English, it's the word rapture. It means snatched out. Paul referred to it in 1 Corinthians 15, and we shall not all die. Well, what do you mean we shall not all die? No, but we're gonna be changed. And the word change there is interesting. It's the word metamorphosis. It's what these little caterpillars do. You know, the ones you run over on the highway and have fallen. More, too much information. <laughs> so what happens? Well, these things that just, um, um, they make a little cocoon or whether they call it crystallis and, and then after billions and billions and billions of years, they come out completely different than they were before. They were earthbound before. Now they come out and they're beautiful. The monarchs right now are on their way to Mexico. They're all gonna meet up on some mountain outside of Mexico City. Are you aware of that? How do they know how to get there? What about the ones up in up, uh, Washington State, the ones up in Maine? Meet you in Mexico. <laughs> they all know how, somehow how to, how to get there. But the word there, metamorphosis, is a word that Paul uses when you will be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. It's gonna be that quick, and this body is gonna put on a new body. And I find the word there, metamorphosis, very interesting in light of that uh, transition that we are going to go through. So the second seal we find here it was granted to take peace. So we have the Antichrist. This is a, evidently a very short-lived uh, peace um, because uh, he, the Antichrist goes out and he's going to conquer. And it says world wars are going to break out. War is the first seal. I'm gonna put something up on the screen. I'm holding it up here. And uh, without getting into reading all of them, this is uh, the one on wars while they're getting ready to put that up. We have, um, just in the last 100 years, as I just saw it over the last 100 years, we had our first world war. And then we had World War II. Then we had the Korean War. Then the Vietnam War. Then the Gulf War. Afghanistan War. Um, We have ongoing battles on a daily basis with Israel and Hezbollah uh, in the Gaza Strip, in Lebanon, and in Syria. And this list just lists some of the other wars. I'm just gonna go down to the bottom. The number of countries involved in wars, 69. Uh, Number of militia, guerrillas, and terrorists, separatists, anarch groups involved, 842. And that's what's going on currently. My point here is there's an escalation that's building towards, and I believe it's gonna ultimately enter into, and the Lord's gonna stop us from going into it, but we see when it says watch, watch for what? An escalation of war and rumors of wars. And we're hearing of wars and rumors of wars all the time. So let's go on to the third seal, verses five and six. 
And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. And I looked to behold a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarii and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil or the wine. So when the third seal is open, well, what follows wars but famines and a lack of food in the food chain supply because of the war? This wasn't in my notes, but just what happened in Iowa about three weeks ago, devastated because of the wind, most of the, the corn crop that's going to affect our food supply, and um, they said they've never seen anything like it. Most of Iowa's corn crop completely devastated and wiped out. Uh, the, the Greek historian Herodias says that a quart of corn was a soldier's daily supply of food. A Daenerys was a day's wage, according to Matthew 20, verse 2. Therefore, a working man will be unable to support his family in that day. And what we have basically here, it said, um, um, a day's wages will cost them all their money. But then it says, do not harm the oil or the wine. So we have two classes of people. At this time, there will be no more middle class. You will have the very, very rich on one end, and you will have the very, very poor on the other end. So now I just want to ask myself an honest question and uh, say, well, is there an increase that we're seeing in the world today that pertain to Famines, has there been an increase? We'll put this, up, this one up on the board. Why this stuff doesn't, isn't on the news all the time, I don't know. The first one is about locusts. If we can put that one up, guys. It says, locusts are putting five million people at risk of starvation, and that's without COVID-19. It's the most serious um, locust outbreak in 70 years, The Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations has already warned that the pandemic have left some of the most vulnerable communities facing a crisis within a crisis as it disrupts supply chains and hammers the economy, exasperating the global hunger problem. Locust breakouts could leave nearly 5 million people in Africa facing starvation. By the way, this made its way all the way up into China, the swarm. Uh, The crisis comes on top of a food um, insecurity already exasperated by COVID-19. A locust swarm can contain as many as 80 million adults. A, A swarm can consume the same amount of food in one day as 35,000 people and it's not even hardly ever being mentioned. The next uh, slide I'm gonna put up is called Coronavirus Pandemic Will Cause Global Famine of their terminology, Biblical Proportions. 
a UN warns. And I'm quoting now. Famines could take hold in about three dozen countries, and in a worst-case scenario, the executive director of the uh, World Food Program, also known as the WFP, said in a stark address on Tuesday, ten, 10 of those countries already have more than a million people on the verge of starvation. He cited conflict, an economic recession, a decline in aid, and a collapse in oil prices, and factors likely to read a vast food storages, and he urges swift action to avert a disaster. While dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic, we are also on the brink of a hunger pandemic. David Beasley told the UN Security Council, this is also a real danger that more people could potentially die from the economic impact of COVID-19 than from the virus itself. The WPF have already warned that 2020 would be a devastating year of numerous countries ravaged by poverty of war with 135 million people facing uh, crisis levels of hunger and worse. Uh, Their updated projections nearly doubled that number. When added to the 821 million people already chronically hungry, that scenario would push them more than 1 billion people into dire situations. The agency identifies 55 countries, most at risk of being plunged into famine in its annual report on food crises released this week, warning that their fragile health care system will be unable to cope with the impact of the virus. Um, And that was just printed just a couple months ago. All right, Um, let's go on to uh, the fourth seal, which is in verses seven and eight. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the the voice of the fourth living creature say, come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and the beasts of the earth. Are you kidding me? Currently, there's about 8 billion people that inhabit Earth in 2020. Of those, one quarter of 8 billion is 2 billion will die as a result of the wars and the famines. And it also goes on to talk about wild beasts. I thought about this and I wanted to try to put it in some sort of perspective so we could wrap the enormity of what's being said here. So I thought, what's the population of the United States? So I Googled it, and we're roughly at about 330 million people that live in the United States of America. Okay, it takes 1,000 millions to equal 1 billion. Everybody with me on that one? It takes 1,000 millions to equal one 
billion. Well, that means uh, those killed in the fourth seal is equivalent to six United States of America being destroyed. Put it in that context. And when you think about it in those terms, the enormity, and uh, uh, this will be brought up by some of the speakers, that there are people in the world that feel that the population of this planet needs to be lowered. And a lot of the stuff that's going on right now is being manipulated to that very, very end. And I'll let the experts talk about that because um, there are experts in that field and it, it might be and it might not. I could be dropping some pretty big names right now who have their own, their own agenda. It's not the one that Curtis is mentioning. So, um, the enormity. Anybody that tells me that it is either pre-wrath, pre-trib, and this is all happening, they're not raptured yet. They're waiting for the Antichrist to, be, to come out, and they're saying there's really no tribulation. You know, gang, remember when we read in 1 Thessalonians 5? Don't worry about it, you're not in it, therefore comfort one another. Somehow I just can't find any comfort uh, with the population of the United States being destroyed six times over. How about you, bringing a comfort to your heart? No, the enormity is, is hard to wrap your head around the idea that that's going to happen. Well, let me just tell you, it has to happen. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away but not my word. To the dotting of the I, to the crossing of the T. In Hebrew, it's a jot and a tittle. It has to happen. What we just read is going to happen, and nothing, literally nothing, can stop it from happening. Let's go back and continue. I think I made the point there. So the fifth seal is in verses nine through 11. When he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? These are believers. And white robes were given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were, was completed. Now, here, as we look at this fifth seal, we have people who have given up their lives um, uh, and during this first part. We're talking about, in Thessalonians, the restraining force when it's released, that there will no longer be restraints against Christians in particular. Um, Do you see the trend already going that way? And uh, in California, there's a handful of Calvary guys, the good ones, (laughs) that the governor is saying, if you go to church, you're gonna get a $1,000 fine every day and you're going to jail. And they're fighting it, but they're, they're standing up and saying, okay, we can either... Obey you or obey God. So I guess the Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. I guess we're going to assemble. Do what you want to. 
And, you know, I got respect for men like that. And um, say, bring it on. You know, Paul, when talking about death, um, the, the more Paul grew in Christ and the older he got, matter of fact, this is just after 1 Corinthians 15 and the rapture, talking about the resurrection and death. This is what he says. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? Death, bring it on. I mean, what happens when you die? <laughs> hey, you go to heaven. <laughs> and Paul wrestled with this. He said, look, I'd rather be with the Lord. I really would. But it's necessary for me to be here right now for your sake. But if he had his wish, he said, hands down, I want to go home. That's a good place for an amen, actually. (laughs) It's not going to get any better, my friends. But just the fact that we're aware that God has a plan and it's unfolding brings a comfort. Imagine those who are trying to figure this out on their own. They've never cracked a Bible in their life, much less have an understanding of Bible prophecy. They are freaking out big time. And uh, they, are, they are becoming undone. The Lord at present, by the power of the Holy Spirit on earth, bridles the passion of men. But let the presence of the power of the Spirit withdraw, which is what happens at the rapture. The Holy Spirit doesn't withdraw. Uh, on the world's enmity to Christ and those who are his they'll burst out in fierce and bitter persecution even unto death. In other words, all hell will break loose on earth after the rapture of the church. The unregenerated nations of the world will unleash a bloodbath of anyone claiming the name of Christ. We're in the seal judgments. We still have to go through the trumpet and the um, bowl. And we read when it gets down to the Antichrist, when it gets there, anybody who doesn't take the mark, what happens? They're put to death. And so the idea here is they're told to wait a little bit longer until the rest of those who choose not to take the mark of the beast um, uh, and when their number is complete, um, and we'll deal with this next week when, when we're in chapter seven. Suffice to say uh, for right now that um, these souls under the altar are martyred saints during this first part of the tribulation period. Which brings us to um, the, the, the sixth seal, and it'll be uh, the last one we'll study this morning. The seventh seal isn't open till chapter eight, verse one. And I'm quoting, well, let's read it first of all. And I looked what he had opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and some became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became blood red. I'm just gonna stop and just comment on earthquakes because Jesus said in Matthew 24 certain things to look for. He said there would be wars, rumors, famines, but he also qualified there earthquakes in diverse places. In other words, we all know what the ring of fire is, but then he says there's gonna be earthquakes happening in places 
diverse in different places. This was in our news bites a couple weeks back. Alarming trend of large earthquakes in diverse places. Um, And it goes on to say, an unusually large earthquakes have been striking diverse locations all over the United States in recent months. And experts are not exactly sure why this is happening. On Sunday, a very strange magnitude 5.1 earthquake hit North Carolina. North Carolina. It made headlines all over the nation. About four or five years ago, there was a tremendous spike in earthquake activity in the central portion of the country, and many blame that spike on fracting. And it goes on to say, more than 80,000 earthquakes have been recorded in the Ridgecrest area. Now this is in Southern California. Did you catch that? 80,000. Uh, since July 4th, the aftermath from two of the biggest tremors to hit California in nearly a decade. Experts say two major quakes, the first measuring 6.4, the second 7.1, led to a particularly energetic aftershock sequence before slowing down. This, what I'm going to quote next, comes from The Science for Changing World. Why are we having so many earthquakes? Has naturally occurring earthquake activity been increasing? Does this mean a big one is going to hit? Or we haven't had any earthquakes in a long time? Does this mean that the pressure is building up for a big one? They've been talking about the San Andreas for how many years? But what's just making news just this year is the one that's in Yellowstone. It's the largest one in the world, and it's slowly rising as we speak. And again, what I want to connect some dots with here, these are what happened during the tribulation. If we're told to watch in 1 Thessalonians 4, and we're talking about famines, giving you the numbers, wars, giving you the numbers on an increase, and now earthquakes in diverse places. I believe what that's what Paul was referring to and Jesus was referring to when he says watch. I always ask the question, watch for what? But we're seeing this exponential growth as I believe we're getting close. What are you really trying to say, Dwight? What I'm really trying to say is I think it's really late. And I think the hour is so late that, if, that we really don't have any idea that we really might not be here next week as, as a reality as the lateness of the hour. Now, I came upon a personal conviction this week because I've always asked the Lord, you should have shown up by now. It's bad enough. You know? And yet you, you wonder about these things. I had a, a, this week I had a different perception of what might be going on as far as the Lord's coming. As we see things escalating, we know what they're going to escalate into, and we know that we have to be removed before it comes. So, let's read the rest of this, and I'm going to point out something that I didn't know until this week. Uh, Verse 13, it says, And the stars fell 
to the earth as a fig tree drops her late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the, the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island is moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth and the great men rich, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in the caves and rocks of the mountains and said to the, to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? Now, um, I'm gonna quote Ed Heinsohn uh, I think he's on the board with Tommy Ice with the Pre-Trib Institute. He speaks at a lot of pa- um, pastors and prophecy conferences. So I want to give credit where credit is due because there is a misunderstanding where people put this. There are those groups that want to take this and put this somewhere else in the book of Revelation. And Ed Heinsohn takes issue with that and believes it's in a chronological order, which I also believe. And I'll explain why um, some of these events could take place. So I'm quoting uh, Ed Heinsohn. It's called, uh, he's quoting chapter 12 through 17, and he calls it universal devastation. The final seal mentioned in this chapter is open and the planet is shaken to its very core. Disorder reigns supreme. The power of nature and human government collapse, chaos ensues, and people call upon the rocks and the mountains to fall on us. In this awful moment of divine retribution, and that's what this is, there is no repentance by the ungodly. They call on the power of nature to deliver them, but they will not call upon God. A great earthquake rocks the planets, the sun is darkened, Stars fall, the heavens or the atmosphere splits apart. Would you remember that? The atmosphere splits apart. Like a scroll, these passages clearly indicate some sort of nuclear or cosmic disaster which causes the entire planet to be shaken so that the sun, moon, stars appear to be moving and the atmosphere is split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up. John's description is very similar to that in 2 Peter 3.10. In both passages, the heavens refer to Earth's atmosphere, not the dwelling place of God, which of course remains undamaged. But the planet is totally devastated and universal terror reigns supreme in the hearts of unregenerated men. What is all this? Our text says it's the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of his wrath has come, who is able to stand. Some limit the wrath to the sixth seal and onward. Some divide the first four or five seals into the first half of the tribulation and seal six initiatives, uh, initiate the last half of the great tribulation. However, there's nothing in the text to indicate This, the reference to the wrath of the Lamb could just as easily be a summary statement covering his opening of all six seals. 
The opening of each seal has led to a progression of events that intensifies the divine judgment, wrath of the Lamb. That intensity culminates in international wars, planetary devastation, and what certainly appears to be the consequences of a nuclear holocaust. Despite the human instrument who causes this devastation, the catastrophe itself is called the great day of the Lord. With the opening of the first six seals, the process of judgment begins. The world is at war and the future of the planet is in jeopardy. But behind the scene, one thing remains clear. God is still in control. Jesus Christ is uh, changing and opening of the seals and the sovereign will of heaven prevails despite the inhumanity and the depravity of the corrupt society. Now, I'm gonna share something with you that blew my mind this week, and this is what Paul was referring to that you can pick up on your way out, but again, if you got emails with Calvary, you're gonna get this. So let's put it up on the screen here. It's called The Mysterious Magnetic Anomaly, it seems to be splitting. Now, I didn't hear about this until this week. Bear with me as I read what it is. The South Atlantic Anomaly is a vast expanse of reduced magnetic intensity in the Earth's magnetic field, extending all the way from South America to Southwest Africa. Since our planet's magnetic field acts as a kind of shield, protecting Earth from solar winds and cosmic radiation, in addition to determining the location of the magnetic poles, any reduction in its strength is an important event we need to research has shown that the Earth's magnetic field is constantly in a state of flux. And every few hundred thousand years, well, we know where they're at. (laughs) Give or take, the Earth's magnetic field flips. Now, I don't want you to miss that. The Earth's magnetic field flips. And that that means north becomes south and south becomes north. Do you know that that has happened before? Yeah, it happened during the flood. And that's why you find woolly mammoths in the North Pole eating We found them with blood tissue and DNA, perfectly preserved. And so the fact that it's mentioned, uh, Earth's magnetic fields flip, which the North and the South magnetic poles swapping places. And for the first time it hit me, the intensity of the Earth being this devastated. I mean, it could be nuclear. But the lights went on for me the first time that we have something that we can actually look at from a scientific perspective that say that this is actually a possible event that could happen. Um, The process could actually occur more frequently than people think. But while scientists continually debate when we might next witness such an event, even the regular wandering movements on Earth's magnetic fields um, Uh, Keep them guessing. In any case, 
it's not fully clear how those reversals might be tied to what's currently going on in the South Atlantic anomaly. Um, they're not tying any of this into the Bible study. This is from a, their own scientific perspective, okay? Um, what is certain, though, is that the South Atlantic anomaly is now sitting still, is not sitting still. Since 1970, the anomaly has been growing in size as well as moving westward at an approximately 12 miles per year, but that's not all. Monitoring closely as these changes could ultimately have significant implications for our planet. At present, there's nothing to be alarmed about. The ESA notes that most significant effects right now are largely limited uh, to technical uh, um, malfunctions on board satellites and spacecraft. Some of our satellites, we actually had to... to, um, either take them up, I don't remember, bring them down because of uh, the radiation effect that it's having on their capabilities. Not that the magnitude of the anomaly should be diminished, though. In the latest two centuries, Earth's magnetic field has lost about 9% of its strength, on average, the ESAS says, assisted by a drop in a minimal field strength of the South Atlantic anomaly from approximately 24,000 nanotacels, which I don't know what those actually are, (laughs) to 22,000. Exactly why this is happening remains a mystery. Earth's magnetic field is generated by electrical currents produced by a swirling mass of liquid iron within the outer core of our planet. But while this phenomenon appears stable at any given moment over vast time scales, it's never really still. And they close it up by saying, new readings provided by the ESA swarm satellites show that within the past five years, a second centrum of minium intensity has begun to open up with the anomaly. What did I just say? It means they're splitting apart and are beginning to open up to a larger This suggests the whole thing could even be in the process of splitting up into two separate cells with the original centered around the middle of South America and the new emerging cell appearing to the east hoovering over southwest Africa. The new eastern minimum of South Atlantic anomaly has appeared over the last decade and in recent years is developing vigorously, says geologist uh, Jungen Marzer from the German Research Center. Uh, The challenge is now to understand the process in Earth's core driving these changes. Just how the anomaly anomaly will develop from here is unknown, but previous research has suggested disruptions in the magnetic field like this one might uh, be recurrent events that take place every few hundred years. Whether that's what we're witnessing now it's not fully clear, or how a split anomaly might end up playing out. But scientists are watching closely, as we are, and might I add, as we are. And it gives me, as I'm thinking this through, knowing the grace of the Lord, the Lord knows when this thing's gonna happen, if it happens. And I think he'd probably be waiting right up until the end, and he says, okay, 
I've gone as far as I can go. It's time to take my church home. Now, in closing, I want to give you an Old Testament, just three scriptures from the Old Testament, all of them from Isaiah, to tell you how much the Old Testament speaks about our Bible study this morning. So turn with me, first of all, to Isaiah chapter 13, and let's pick it up in verse 9, where we're told, this is a prophecy, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate. He will destroy its sinners from it, and from the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened and it's going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. I will punish the world for its evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud, I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a moral, mortal more rare than fine gold. Can I read that again? It means man. I will make a man more rare than fine gold. A man more than a gold wedge of Ophrah. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth will move out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. Revelation 6.17 calls it the wrath of the Lamb. Turn your pages to Isaiah chapter 24, just a couple pages away. Let me draw your attention to the first six verses. Isaiah 24. Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and makes it waste, distorts its surface, scatters abroad its inhabitants, and it shall be as with the people, so with the priest, as with the servant, so with the master. In other words, affects everybody. As with the maid, so with her mistress. As with the buyer, so with the seller. As with the lender, so with the borrower. As with the creditor, so with the debtor. The land shall be utterly emptied and utterly plundered. For the Lord has spoken it. The earth moans and fades away. The world languishes and fades away. The haughty people of the earth languish. The earth is also defiled under its inhabitants because they have transgressed the law, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, the curse has surrounded the earth and those who dwell in it are desolate Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men are left. Let me draw your attention to um, 17 through 23 of the same chapter. Fear in the pit and snare are upon you, O inhabitants of the earth. And it shall be that he who flees from the noise of fear shall fall into the pit and he who comes up from the midst of the pit shall be caught in a snare. Uh, for the windows from on high are open, and the foundations of the earth are shaken. The earth is violently broken. The earth is split open. The earth is shaken exceedingly and will reel to and fro like a drunkard. And I personally believe we're talking polar axis shift at this time. And that's what it's referring to and shall utterly totter like a hut. 
its transgression shall be heavy upon it, and it will fall, and it will not rise again. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will punish on high the host of the exalted ones, and on the earth the kings of the earth. They will be gathered together as prisoners are gathered into the pit and will be shut up in the prison. And after many days they will be punished. We're talking about the great white throne judgment. The moon will be disgraced, the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion in Jerusalem and before his elders gloriously. I want to leave this. How do you leave a Bible study like this on a positive note? That's a good question. But turn the page to Isaiah 26. Just two verses. I believe these are rapture verses. Isaiah 26 verse 20 said, Come my people and enter your chamber and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself as it were for a little moment, just for a little time, until the indignation is past. The indignation is another term for the great tribulation. Why? For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. But where are his people? Well, they're in their chambers with their doors shut for a little bit of time. How much is that little bit of time? Seven years. Go to John chapter, this will be our last place I'll have returned this morning. John chapter 15. Verse one. This is a good way to end the study, besides reading Chuck here. Let not your heart be troubled. I'll read it again. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in me, believe also. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus said, you see in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Oh, hide yourself just for a moment, for a little while. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Can you see why you're gonna be more and more marginalized every single day with people trying to appease society, letting down of doctrine so that uh, we're pleasers of men? Doesn't the Bible say in the last days that the majority of people will gravitate towards people having itching ears. You know what that means? Tell me what I want to hear, not what I need to hear. The audacity, you narrow-minded, bigoted Christian, saying that Jesus is the only way? You know what you tell them? You say, I never said that. Jesus said that. If you've got an issue with it, take it up with him. If you had known me, you would have known the Father. My friends, It is not politically correct to say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. But Jesus is the only way to heaven. But I, I, and and before I walked out of the house this morning, I thought, well, I wonder what Chuck has to say on August 30th. 
And uh, so I read it, and I thought, well, I guess that's how we're closing the Bible study. So I'll close with this. It's Acts chapter 12, verses one and two. Just three letters on top. Why? With a question mark. Why did God miraculously deliver Peter and allow Herod to kill James? This would have been the son of the, the scripture that he quotes that Herod killed James, the brother of John, James and John. Why does God allow righteous people to suffer? God doesn't give us an answer to those whys. And when there is something we don't know, we must rely on what we do know. What we do know is that God is good. We know that God loves us supremely. We know that God is sovereign and that he's on the throne and that nothing happens without his permission. We know that all things are working together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. We know that God's thoughts towards us are good, not evil, for he is working out an eternal plan for our lives. We don't always understand the reasons why God permits suffering. When pain or trauma comes, we have no answers for why we are suffering. We can hold tightly to the knowledge that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us, Romans 8, 18. Sovereignty is working out an eternal purpose through our circumstances. We don't always get to know God's reasons for the things that he permits, but we don't need to know why. We need to know Jesus, amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. And as we get into this portion of the book of Revelation. Um, Lord, please let it be a motivating factor knowing that if we know you, we'll be fine because you've not appointed us to wrath. But Lord, would, it, would you put a love in our heart for the lost, for those who don't have a clue what's going to be happening to keep them from this terrible time that your word has clearly laid out. And um, I pray to use even the Prophecy Conference, Lord, to be an instrument to um, open people's eyes up to what's taking place. In the meantime, we thank you for your love and grace and the certainty of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.